The second reading today is from Revelation, right at the back on page 1075. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. Good morning. That's nice. Um, can somebody do me that favour for those lights, please? Thanks, Steve. Um, let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you've come into the world to rescue us. We thank you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts that, you've been, that we've been on your heart since before time. And we pray, Lord, now that you'll write your word and your truth and your faith further and deeper into our hearts, we pray this morning. Amen. Guys, have you got any idea what that's got to do with Christmas? Those, those uh, passages? Vassal, you want to have a tilt? Come here. Come here. Now you've got to be short, Brett Vassal. You've got to be short and you've got to speak loud. But listen to me. I can sit down now. <laughs> what, what, what were those passages doing about Christmas, mate? It is God's rescue mission to bring the people who love him back to him. I'm not very happy about the commercialisation of Christmas, but it was, uh, it was God who actually sent someone to, to put us back on the right path, to put humanity on the right path. And that's what those passages are about, aren't they? Yes. Hey, let's give him a clap. Thanks, thanks Um And thanks, Steve. Thanks, brother. All right, no more Christmas. The time's going to come when Christmas stops. When Christmas stops. I wonder if you've ever thought about the time when Christmas is going to stop, because it surely shall. 
Now, what I want to do is do a little comparison. Now, it's probably, um, well, I haven't done it before, so I don't know if anybody else has. I want to compare Esau with Jesus. Next couple of slides, thanks, guys. Okay. Esau with Jesus. Now, that's an unusual comparison, isn't it? Um, I hope you'll see why in a moment. As this earth will end, it can never be all that there is. Yet we still live on earth as if this is all that there is. Esau coming back in from the fields one prehistoric afternoon, evening, uh, exchanged his future, his inheritance for a cheap bowl of stew. Esau's, Esau's wisdom still echoes to us down the corridors of time. I don't think I'd have to explain much to you guys about who Esau is and what he did. It's just a common story of foolishness. Now, but this is how mankind continues to think. Because what Esau did, he traded his inheritance for today. He traded his tomorrow for today. We still do that. I think one of the clear examples of that is his debt. The debts this season alone create are ample evidence of trading tomorrow for today. Because what debt does, it puts us into bondage. It puts us into servitude. Now, there are many other ways that we can change our tomorrow for today. I think that's one of the clearest ones. Immorality is another clear one. How people would become immoral at a certain point in time and then begin a relationship which should never have started and then they have the, heart, the heartache of that relationship. So because they wanted some uh, comfort, some whatever, at point A, they didn't realise, or didn't realise, but later on had sacrificed at point B. Because point B is never as good as point A promises it's going to be. That's temptation. Temptation invites us to trade our tomorrow for today. And temptation doesn't tell us what the cost of immorality is. As indeed, we don't realise what the cost of debt is till we're halfway through paying it off. The world has taught us to trade our tomorrows for today. So what we must do now is not take the short-term gain for the long-term loss. We get the short-term gain whether we've got the satisfaction of buying a new car, new lounge suite or a new dress. Or we get the satisfaction of the, the immoral encounter and we haven't seen that we've got a long-term loss at the other end of the temptation. So that's what Esau did. He took a short-term gain for a long-term loss. So we must grasp this because Christmas is a very bright pointer to a new, true, free and perfect world without end. That is a Christian's inheritance, what we read there in Revelation 21. That's what we read. The inheritance that God holds for us. But what Satan's going to do, what he wishes us to do, is to lose our Christian inheritance for whatever the motivation of the day is. We don't hold our inheritance 
with sufficient understanding that it's worth the cost of whatever it means to be faithful. Now, the world that God has for us is not to be ignored, it is not to be lost, and it is not to be traded for a trinket or a morsel today, which is what Esau did. He had a morsel. That's all he had, and he's really willing to give up his inheritance, which he did. Our inheritance is so much richer, it's so much fuller, it's so much superior to what Esau had anyway, yet we still trade like Esau did, ignoring the future for the trinket today. Now, I want to say, tell me if you can't hear me, but I think I should be okay. Mankind has no sense of the value of his soul. And I doubt that many Christians have a lot of sense about the value of, the, of their soul because we don't think that way. Now, each person is made up of a body, a soul and a spirit. We're made in the image of God. Three-partite God, three-partite man. Now, our soul, sorry, our body is going to end up as dust one day. We will return to what we came from. Now, depending upon your size, it could be a big pile of dust, it could be a small pile of dust. But our body is going to end up as dust. Now, when we die, the final thing in death is having your breath withdrawn. Whether you die of... of um, a car accident or whether you die of cancer or whether you just die of old age. The last thing that happens is your breath is withdrawn. Breath and spirit are the same. Have you heard of um, the word pneuma? Who's heard of that? Come on, Steve, you have, mate. You have. Pneuma. You've all, we've all got pneumatic tyres on our car. Pneuma means air as distinct from when they first had tyres that were solid rubber. Some bright boy, might have been Mr Goodyear or Mr Bridgestone, worked out how to put air in a tyre to make the vehicle ride firmer, uh, ride more comfortably. That's pneuma, is air. It's a long story, cut it short. Our spirit is our breath, it's our air. And that gets withdrawn and returns to, returns to, returns to heaven. Because God places that in us at birth, and he withdraws it from us at death. But in the middle is our soul, body, mind, body, soul, mind, and spirit. And we don't understand the nature of the soul and its eternal value. But Christmas does. The Lord does. That's why Jesus came to earth. Because our soul is eternal. If I understand the nature of my soul being eternal, I am not going to give it up cheaply. In fact, I'm not going to give it up at all. Christmas promises a better day, a perfect one. Not to be lost at all costs. Not to be traded for a trinket or a morsel. Because our soul is eternal. The first Christmas is God's rescue of all our tomorrows. That's why Jesus came, as Basil said. Thus it echoes down the corridors of time. This can only end up in freedom and worship. So the the comparison is you end up in servitude or you end up in freedom. You end up with an inheritance or you end up with a loss of an inheritance. 
Jesus came to reverse eternity, the eternal reversal. Next slide, thanks, guys. Christmas was never going to be an end in itself. Now, I want you to imagine, I've got a slide. What? Go, next slide, please, guys. Then we'll go back to this first slide. See there, Christmas is a cross that's crossing the chasm between earth and heaven. Jesus' cross is on this gap that will take us from a wicked earth to a perfect heaven. Back to the last slide, thanks, guys. Eternal reversal. Christmas was never an end in itself. It is a plank on a cross-shaped footbridge that all men can choose to walk upon today. It carries any man willing to cross a great and fearsome chasm, uh, fearsome Christmas-created chasm. Because what Christmas does is what Jesus does, and we've talked about this before. Jesus divides men. He doesn't unite them. Created yesterday, this chasm, to lead you to tomorrow. Esau only ever thought of today, and that's what we do. Created yesterday to lead you to tomorrow. This bridge has no oncoming traffic and very few carry rear vision mirrors. Only losers do. Now just imagine that plank that's going straight to heaven. It's not crowded. It's not carrying a lot of people to heaven. There's not a lot of people putting their hands up and saying, oh, I want to go to heaven, I want to be with Jesus. I want to secure my soul, I want my soul in eternity. That's not painful, but it's paradise. So there's space for all of us to walk on this cross. And there's no traffic coming towards us except for the loser who carries a rear vision mirror. He turns around, he looks at his life and he thinks, that was easier or that was better. Like the, like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Or like Lot's wife in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. As that city of evil was destroyed, God said, don't look back. Keep going. And what happened to Lot's wife? She turned around with that longing look, saying, oh, that was better than where I'm going. Rushing through a hard idea, I think. Now, what happened to Lot's wife? She became a pillar of salt. Now, I'm not an engineer, guys. Not even close to being an engineer. Well, I don't reckon a pillar of salt can stand too long, can it? It's going to collapse pretty quick. So when we start on this bridge, this plank that started with Christmas, you don't take revision mirrors with you. Because that's what losers do. You become pillars of salt. You keep your eyes on the gold. Now, in, uh, in Isaiah, it talks about the way of holiness. I call it the highway of holiness, because I like alliteration, but it's the same. The highway of holiness. Now that plank that's crossing earth to heaven, bridging earth to heaven, is the way of holiness. I'll give you the tip. People do not like holiness. A couple of years ago I had a small crash in my car. Really small, I scratched the bumper, bent the bumper. When I put the car in to get fixed, there was an insurance claim. 
and the guys wanted me to pay cash for the deal. These guys had no understanding where I was coming from. I said, I'm putting it on card. I needed to put it on card. I just get cash. No, no. So the bill was $700 for the repair, and they were bemused, politely bemused, I was, uh, I was uh, pleased to say, why I'd pay the extra $70 to pay the GST on the deal. They just wanted the cash, so I didn't go into books. I paid the $70, I copped a bit of um, banter, but they weren't trying to walk a walk of holiness. They didn't understand it, I didn't even try to explain. So guys, let's have this bridge again. Thanks. Can we have this slide, the next slide please? Here we go. So we've got this bridge that we're working on, the walk we are walking on and working on. And that bridge is taking us to heaven and that bridge is planted there because Christmas started it all. Whatever we do on that bridge, don't turn around. Because you look down the left-hand side of that slide, it's pretty dark, it's pretty undesirable, it's not a pleasant picture, but we look on the top right-hand side, that's heaven, where it's bright and well-built and it's not crowded compared to what the earth is. I want to stay on that cross. I want to walk down the centrepiece of that cross for forever. No, that's probably not right, is it? Until I meet the Lord, until I'm in heaven, or he returns. So Christmas had to be first. Next slide, thanks. Christmas had to be first. It had to come. You see, what Bethlehem does, Bethlehem guarantees Gethsemane. And we're going to do a lot of work on Gethsemane over Easter. Once Gethsemane is arrived at, Gethsemane guarantees Golgotha. And what Golgotha guarantees is glory for all those who tenaciously take the steps to navigate the cross bridge. But this requires heart because you're going to need a bit of ticket to keep walking across that bridge when everybody around you doesn't want you to walk across that bridge to holiness. But remember, your soul's eternal. Don't treat it cheaply. So there was no Gethsemane if there was no Bethlehem. There was no Golgotha if there was no Gethsemane. And there is no glory if there was no Golgotha. That logic's clear, isn't it? So what Christmas does, it had to be first, it had to come, that we would meet glory. So... God has long ago announced his intentions. Next slide, please. God has long ago announced his intentions. There is nothing hidden here. Jesus is not hard to find. We've looked at that too already. God didn't sneak up on the world in, in um, 33 AD or 29 AD, whatever it was, depending upon what calendar you use. God didn't sneak up on the world. He's announced it. He's announced it through creation. He's announced it to the Israelites particularly. He's announced it in his word. God has long ago announced his intentions. Steve, can you read out that first one for me? Can you see it? Is the font big enough? Uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The will give 
Isaiah 7. Thanks, mate. He will give you a child and you will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. That was written 2,700 years ago. There's another reference in Isaiah 65. Get this one. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I don't know about you, but I'd like to explore what the former things means will not be remembered. My shame, my dishonour, my pain, my betrayals, my, my ill health, whatever it is that's gone down in earth, the former things have been forgotten. Now, it's probably a lot deeper than that too. But I've had this imagination. It's an imagination of what heaven's like. And obviously in heaven we, we conduct our mind thinking everything's perfect. And so I imagine this massive, big, green, verdant... I don't know, it's not a paddock, it just goes on and on and on. Like a golf course, but I don't play golf. So it doesn't have holes in the middle which can trip you up. So I imagine this massively green, delightful to the eye um, place. And on the farthest, absolute farthest corner of heaven, there's a lake. And it's a deep lake. And what the good Lord does when Jeff Taylor arrives, meets his maker, he's got a catalogue of all the things I've done, all the things I shouldn't have done. He's got his catalogue. What he does, he takes his catalogue and he, give, he gives it to his army of, of angels because they've got a fair way to go from where he sits to where this lake is in, in heaven. And there's a lot of people still going to heaven so the army needs to be active up there, the army of angels. So what he does, he gives a book that's got Jeff Taylor's name, Jeffrey Charles Taylor. Here's Jeffrey Charles Taylor's book. And he says to angel X, Y, or Z, I want you to take this and I want you to throw it in that lake. That lake that's a long way from me, a long way from here. So he gets to the record of all the things I've done that I shouldn't have done and he throws it into this lake of water, not a lake of burning sulphur. He throws it in this lake of water. And of course it's my book, it's a pretty thick book, so it's fairly heavily weighted. So it sinks to the bottom. But he doesn't stop there, the good Lord doesn't stop there. You know what he does after that? He gets onto his own. Bob Pickworth and Peter Huxley's. The people around heaven that are handy, you know, Steve Foster's. He says, I want you to make me some signs, please, boys. Okay, we're willing to do that. They're good guys. I want you to make me say, oh, no, on that sign, now Bob, Bob Pickworth in the last service, he nearly cried when I told him this. On the sign, you write, you paint on it, permanent indelible paint. You paint on the sign, Steve, Bob, so on. No fishing. Uh, in he cried. <laughs> and around the lake, I want you to go and shove those signs in the ground. Because that lake that's got Jeff Taylor's sin sunk to the bottom, no one's allowed to retrieve. That's why there's no fishing around that lake in heaven. The former things will not be remembered. 
they out of sight, they out of mind, and they're drowned. Now, I don't want to lose that. That's what Christmas won for me. That's what Jesus fought for me for and got. The former things will not be remembered and I won't be able to bring them to mind. A lot of things I can't remember now. But it's probably going to be better in heaven about what I can't remember. So, next slide, thanks guys. The babe of Bethlehem. There will be a last, yes, a very final Christmas. I mean, this year could be the last Christmas. We might not even make Christmas if Jesus returns. There will be a last, yes, a very final Christmas. This is guaranteed by the first Christmas we are soon to celebrate. For the babe of Bethlehem, the babe of Bethlehem was not born for a cradle but for a cross. The babe of Bethlehem was not born for loss but for victory. And the babe of Bethlehem was not born to remain in heaven but to deliver heaven to earth. The two shall become one, Revelation 21. That's what, the, the, that's what Christmas is about. Getting the eternity correct. There continues this surest... Next slide, thanks guys. There continues this surest and most certain promise. It cannot change. Jesus' return awaits its appointed time. Now, my, worth, my wife was born on the 26th of... Uh, December. I won't tell you what year, so she doesn't get embarrassed when she comes out. She was born on the 26th of December. She's one of those single present sufferers, you know, we talked about. Now, her time for her birth was appointed, just like everybody's here today. And God's got a time appointed when he withdraws our breath from us as well. There's an appointed time for Jesus' return. There's an appointed time for our return. There's an appointed time for our to be here. God's got it sorted. I don't know how. But there is an appointed time. Now Max Licardo's got a little quote I like. The first moment of transformation went unnoticed by the world. Very few people noticed that Jesus was born on earth. There was a, uh, King Herod was pretty ang anxious about it and the angels were pretty happy and the, the shepherds were pretty happy, but that's about it. The first moment of transformation went unnoticed by the world, but you can bet your sweet September, the second one won't. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's finish strong. Christmas still screams today, stay in the faith for the babe who was born the Messiah is soon to return as king, tearing the world apart that peace may settle in. Remember we talked about that last week. Jesus came, Jesus came to divide the world. It's those that are going to take him or those that are going to reject him. The heavens will shake the stars will fall from the sky, the sun and the moon will be darkened, a world dying and smothered in the deepest of darkness has received the brightest of light. We looked at that about three weeks ago from Isaiah 8. The wars, the tears, the fears, the strife, the lusts and so much more will be no more. 
The babe who left as a victor returns as king and will claim his victory forevermore. Now, so you say, next slide, thanks guys. You say, but life on earth is really hard. And I've seen so many people, even in my own family, give up life because it seems, give up their faith because it seems too hard. Now that picture is from Mongolia. That's one of the highways. It used to be. Now, I reckon that picture was taken autumn or spring, because normally that, if that was winter, that'd be just completely white. But it's a bit of a rough old goat track, isn't it? Unless you've got a land cruise or something, then it's probably just plain fun. But it's a rough road. Now, when I went to Mongolia, which we talked about, I went to a really nice township, but it was a road nearly like that for 500k. The quality of the path does not define the quality of the destination. So if you are in one of those sorts of paths, or your path is even rockier and slipperier, and you're trying to do that in a crawler without having a land cruiser, and you're sliding everywhere, please remember that the destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. That's what God's got for us. Don't judge how good our destination is by the quality of the road that gets there. That gets you there. Because it's the quality of the road that Satan wants us to turn around from and go back to his wide gate, his wide highways and join in with everybody else. Don't. The quality of the path does not define the quality of the destination. So Isaiah says, again, but be sure to stay strong. Next slide, thanks guys. Be sure to stay strong and stand firm, for if you don't stand strong, you will not stand at all. Count your days down. Number your days aright. So uh, to the time where tears will be no more. There will be no more toil in vain and work of a worker's hand he will enjoy. The lamb and bear shall rest together, which is unbelievable while the lion and ox share straw. That's hard to believe, that one, isn't it? We all eagerly await when Christmas will be no more. This babe next time won't arrive in a cradle, but he'll arrive on a cloud. No one will be able to miss him, because this is when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Satan will give a stack of desirable reasons to quit. Resist Satan and he will flee. Now, I stumbled upon this last slide on the internet and I liked it. Christmas gives us every reason to go, yep, I'm going to finish strong. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, that you would never leave us alone. And Christmas means that we can live forever. Oh, Lord, teach us for when we're going to trade tomorrow for today. Teach us, Lord, to understand Esau, that we don't repeat him. And teach us, Lord, to stay on a highway of holiness, for we want to meet you more than anything else. Amen.